0: I'm so excited to introduce Melissa to you guys for today's episode. She is a course creation expert and CEO of Witten Wire, where she really helps creators turn their skills and passions into a profitable online business. With actually previously, Melissa worked full-time in the online course industry as a senior launch manager for Remates, eight-figure course business and the director of marketing for Teachable and the number one online course creation software. She is someone who really knows her stuff and you'll hear in the episode, it's a very juicy one (laughs) around really understanding if the online course that you do have might be dead and the three main factors to look at if it is, along with how to know if the online course that you have right now can stand the test of time. The also thing that I think was really amazing was for those who are curious about, should you create a signature course versus a one-off? She goes into, especially around what to do around that and how to choose it for yourself, which is really helpful for those who want to hear. And I just think this is something that's a really great episode for those who are curious to go beyond just the, the, the basics. And I think it's gonna be really helpful for those who need to hear it. So see you guys in the episode pop quiz in the last three months have you said or thought something like my audience is tapped out I need new people I need to be a numbers game with this to figure out how to get more people and increase my sales have you thought how do i make more sales from my one-to-many or group offer through my sales page and emails alone without having to be run down by webinar launches dms calls all the works And have you thought more of your audience and a lot of your list right now as more of lurkers and ghost leads than actual warm, vibrant, interested people? Then this is the freebie for you. Before you pour another dime into ads or hours into your next launch or sales push, you need to address these two reasons to make more sales from your existing audience now. I've put together my best tried and true lurkers beyond interactive exercise, for even the coldest of audience to get unfucked and them off their butts. Get access to one of the simplest exercises you can do in less than five minutes, along with a bonus somatic sales copy exercise to help you cure the thought of writing copy and funnel work is so boring, exhausting, and time consuming. I've made this interactive guide the simplest it can be, and to really help ensure your next sale is as simple as what you'll find out the opt-in form is set up on this page. Get in and have your life changed. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks. I'm so th- excited to be here. I am I am too, and I find that this is a, a topic that I've been wanting to have someone talk about, especially with... Just the area of business in general, which is the truth is that nothing that you create can be the same forever as we are as humans, but I find that so much of us have, unfortunately, from the industry's talk for over years about either funnels, courses, you name it, it's a set it and forget it, and I think that this is hopefully going to be a good podcast to help those who might be feeling that fallacy of the the online course that they created or one they're wanting to, maybe it's gotten a little bit outdated and how to hopefully help it revive or make sure their next one is one to stick around a little bit longer.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I think it's important too, because all all of us evolve. And so it makes sense that our offers evolve. But I think often we see courses as being very permanent, a thing Mm -hmm. that you do once. So I can't wait to dive in and chat a little more.
0: I can't do so. let's dive straight into, I think that the first place to start, especially when it comes to, uh, I, the easiest places for people is how to know if your online course is kind of dead or outdated. So I think if you can share from all the people that you've worked with, or even as a consumer, what have you noticed is kind of like the warning signs, both from like the delivery inside the course to even how it's set up. That kind of is a little bit of a yellow flag or even a red flag of, Hey, something needs to be looked at around your course.
1: I think there are probably three main components that come to mind. Mm -hmm. So the first one is the outcome of the course. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's
1: something that you could be offering potentially as a course, a service. Like what is the thing that you're helping people accomplish? What's the shift between where they are today and where they want to be? And honestly, my guess for most courses is that the outcome is not the problem. I think that's where people might assume the problem is. And it's true that some things are fads. Like if you had a clubhouse course, I don't know how hot Mm -hmm. that's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And certainly the world of social media is one that maybe moves a little quicker than some other worlds. But I'm guessing for a lot of us, we're helping with pretty like universal deep down things. A lot of people will always have health concerns, wealth concerns, Mm -hmm. relationship concerns. Like the fundamentals are still there. So I'm guessing the outcome is not the issue. So that brings us into one of two other options. It could be that the delivery of your course needs to evolve, or it could be that the marketing needs to evolve. So with the delivery, I think one of the biggest shifts I've noticed in the last even like three to four years in the online course industry is that what buyers expect out of a course has changed. Like when I was working for Remit, we had fully self-paced courses where you would log in, watch a series of pre-recorded videos, talking head, like beautifully produced videos. They had PDFs that corresponded with them. People got amazing results from the courses, but it was very self-contained and it was self-directed. And unless you wanted to upgrade and pay the big bucks, the odds of, you know, chatting with Ramit himself were pretty slim. He was too uh popular a great problem to have he couldn't possibly talk to everybody in his programs so the expectation was i'll pay a minimum of one or two k depending on the program and get a series of videos Mm -hmm. but i think especially like the pandemic era has really shifted the way that we operate online and i think more courses are including interactive elements because we the creators have noticed that there is like a a benefit to having students connect with each other. Like we don't want to feel alone. We want to feel supported. Students can step in and help each other. There's more student to student involvement in some courses. And I think there's also a bigger expectation at a certain price point that students will expect some way to talk to you, whether that's live group coaching, whether that's in a community. Again, it's not a requirement, but I just think that the way that our buyers think about a course experience has changed. So the delivery methods that we're using will need to evolve as
0: well. That is a really amazing point. And I 100% agree around the, the perceived level of interaction around it, because even as someone who I'm on the side before they get to you, which is the marketing side, especially around the, the funnel messaging, where even there I'm having to help clients to reshape their funnel or message to see how we can make the time before they say the yes to be interactive as well because as a society or as a consumer's uh age we seem to be at a place where we not only need that but we really crave that that interaction the the depth there the live elements that can be added in because we have gone through those fully self-paced or passive pieces and those have become almost like you said not so much outdated, but that we just expect more than that. That's kind of the, the bare minimum now.
1: Yeah. And I think the beauty of us being more virtual as like a people is that people are more comfortable with virtual learning, I think in ways that they weren't before, but in this very like zoom day and age, I think we're used to things like chatting with other people and kind of having that back and forth. So one of the biggest ways that I see courses go wrong, and this is something that has not changed, but I think that there's just not enough accountability built mm-hmm. into a lot of courses where unless a student is incredibly self-directed to expect them to log into your course and then not only do the work, but make the time to do the work and get the support that they need when they get stuck. I just don't think enough course creators are really thinking about like what happens inevitably when students get stuck because no matter how perfectly crafted your courses, your students will have questions. They will want either feedback or to access you or somebody, if it's not you, to get strategic support on whatever they're working on. So I just think today, if your offer feels dead, we've covered the two, right? It could be the outcome, but I think there'd have to be a pretty significant industry shift. I think you would know if it was the outcome because your services, your direct competitors, you would all- all be feeling that if it was the outcome of the course, then the delivery, I think is going to be a big one, like because your buyer expects the course experience, asking yourself, not only is it more interactive potentially, but also I just think a lot of people aren't even updating their curriculum at all. Like if you've noticed a lot of your students are asking the same questions, but you've done nothing to change what's in your curriculum. Or for me, I work in the online course world, like platforms are updating. The tech is updating. The way we sell courses is updating. Like I need to stay on top of that. And that's a huge competitive advantage for me. But then the third area, which I know is obviously your zone is the marketing. And I think in the case of a dead offer, we all need to be a little honest with ourselves about (laughs) like, is it that the offer isn't working or is it, that my funnels and my former marketing strategies are no longer effective. So I think it's really crucial to maybe even start there, because if your course has sold well before, you've gotten all these testimonials, and if the students who are currently in the course are still experiencing positive outcomes, then I think it's worth taking a close eye at the marketing too.
0: I agree, and it's something that actually I haven't announced publicly yet, but I'm I'm doing a uh, a mini- kind of like a one-off session or workshop. It's going to be a group part around on-fire offer play date where they really kind of bring their, what you said, like a stale offer that they just feel not excited about or their audience isn't super jazzed about. And like, let's actually do kind of a, a mini audit and check-in and say like, what is actually feeling off for them? So they have kind of compass to know what to do next, whether it be the marketing, whether it be the course, whatever, because as someone who a lot of my clients that I work with are similar to you probably too, is there's a vast majority who've had their offer for six months to a year and a half, two years, four years plus. And I think unfortunately we don't have enough both accountability or urgency to revisit our offers that often unless we have we're trying to go for a big launch or we're trying to do like a big push for something anything like that usually will trigger it but because a lot of us are moving into having less urgency I find not with the sale but urgency as a creator as someone who doesn't want to always be in the the rush of it that I think there is this need to sometimes revisit things both from data standpoint both from a do i enjoy this anymore (laughs) and also the standpoint of you know is your audience actually just like not listening because i actually agree with you especially around the piece of for for the courses and the interaction piece it's so important but also i find that you really have to make sure that for accountability like that is so worth your time to figure out how to help your people feel more accountable it's kind of why i'm doing this one live um because as someone who's slowly, if anyone's been on TikTok recently, <laughs> you've probably seen this huge wave of more awareness around like ADHD, around neuros, uh, divergent or neurospicy type of topics, and people who just, do, you know, have a different way of thinking, have a way of, you know, being in the world. And I think there is talk around that finally, how to use that when it comes to the course, like as a delivery side, because Even for me, as someone who has been in the online space for forever, I'm even more weary of saying yes to another offer program that I might be interested in if I know there's no accountability or no way to help, like basically help my brain be able to work better in this way.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And something that I do that I don't see a lot of creators doing, but to help with accountability, I'll often run student-only challenges. So Mm -hmm. something that I found that is maybe universal across any person I've ever known who's taken an online course is that unfortunately we don't always finish them. We buy Mm -hmm. these courses, we have great intention, we really want the outcome, but for whatever reason either we don't make the time or life comes up or our priorities change and none of those are bad. But what I found is that if I'm able to do occasional challenges for my students, not only does that boost accountability to say, like, we are all going to, on this date, go through like a 60-day course launch challenge together. It's for people who are already in it. My students mm-hmm. get lifetime access to their curriculum. So it's just saying like, hey, you're already here. If you want to join us, I'll send out like a weekly email prompt. It Doesn't take a ton of work on my end, but it also becomes a marketing opportunity where it's a reason for new students to join the course as well. So I've done that a couple of times per year and had a lot of success. I usually do some fun things, like if you launch by the end, maybe I feature you to my Wire audience. Mm. So I think what's super interesting about our whole conversation is that we have to first define what makes a course dead. Like, does it feel dead to me, the creator, because I haven't done anything with it in ages? Does it feel dead to my current students because I've not provided them with the accountability that they actually need to reach their goal? Or is it dead because the market isn't interested in the offer, or have I not told the market about the offer, or has the market shifted? So I think before anyone throws out an old course, I think it's really important to define why do I feel like it's not working so that you can find the right solution.
0: I totally agree. And it just, that's being, I think, stepping into the role as we're meant to be the CEO, the decision-maker, and really kind of put on the, the scientific hat and see, which ones might feel, and it could be multiple too, but I find like you said, more oftentimes than not, the people, the reasons why it's felt dead is either, which actually makes so much sense from what you mentioned is it might feel dead for you because you're just tired of saying it in the same way, uh, especially when you're promoting it for, for months or like even in the online uh, automation space of evergreen funnels, where maybe just the angle that it's been is kind of boring for you and you need to refresh that. But on the other side, which I love is, I actually think doing those live challenges i'm doing one actually for one of my courses uh, around around instant yes workshop i'm doing one next week around really doing a live watch party of it so kind of making it a little bit of like a, an evening hangout we'll watch the videos do them together and ask q a questions like live on zoom because of that reason like you said where i was just realizing that the concept's fantastic what's in there is great but still people aren't getting through it, even though it's you know, an hour long program. So seeing how I can help them, but also I think that helps to bring energy back for you too, because you get the, the accountability, but the interaction that we need, because I think as as business owners, we've kind of inherently, we, we wanna help our people. We wanna be of service to them. And it always boosts our day when we get those, you know, those uh, words that are always like, thank you so much for this, this is amazing, or they got some type of insight or result from it that they tell you that helps fuel us to go and I think also when you haven't gotten that in a while from your program that can also help to feel more of that dead feeling too
1: definitely and I think another tip I would offer any course creators who feel like a course is dead is that it could be a great opportunity to reach out to your students and straight up ask them like what Mm -hmm. could I be doing to help you not a long survey a quick one just seeing where are you currently feeling stuck Do you have any suggestions for what I could be doing to support you? I think just asking directly goes a long way. And especially if this dead course is something that you've had for years and you do have students asking them either what they need from you now or what they want from you next, I think would be really beneficial.
0: 1,000%. I think too often sometimes, I mean, it was very much big, I would say a few years ago, the whole Ascension ladder, and it still technically is uh, needed, but there was very much like this this program to this, to this, to this. And I find that we've gotten a little bit hazy now for the last year or two, especially with everything that's been happening in the world. That I think we've gotten a lot more stagnant in certain ways, especially around what is the next thing for my people, but more than what I think it is actually asking them. Because I think so often, even though we are experts at our own fields, it can help to have the validation of maybe an idea we're having, or even have no idea where to start. Those are great people to ask because they're around, or like you said, if they've been in your program for longer than a few months, they naturally are at a place where they're already on whatever next problem that they might want help with. So it's a perfect time to ask them. And the thing that I think would be helpful here to to know is that making sure, like you said, survey should not be super long, especially, nowadays i find that more than i don't know if it's for you too but i find more than like seven questions especially if they're more free form or they don't have multiple choice is kind of like the max for people
1: yeah i agree i try to keep it honestly to like three to five when i can just because when i see the longer surveys i'm always asking myself what would somebody do with this data like Mm -hmm. i previously have been the data analyst on the teams that i've worked for and so much of the questions i see on the surveys like, yeah, it's kind of nice to know, but will I take action from this question? So anytime I'm asking my audience anything, whether it's new program research, current student research, I'm always trying to be as straightforward with my questions as possible because I want to use the data that they give me, not just kind of hypothesize about the 12, several many questions I could ask them.
0: I love that, especially making it really ensuring that the questions you ask are not just intentional, but also actionable for you. The person who's going to have to sift through it. So that actually I think is a fantastic thing for people to note here hopefully who probably haven't done uh, a survey (laughs) in a hot minute to their people. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to go into around this part for those who maybe are on the opposite side where they have a course or they have some type of membership or one-to-many offer that they're actually excited by that they they not just want to build more up but they it to you know quote unquote stand the test of time what are things especially as someone who has worked with these bigger type of people for business but also in the industry what have you found for all the courses that they stick with for years that they have built into being you know their signature offers or that stick around for years what have been some of the things that you've noticed that help those courses or kind of or indicators that okay, this is the right one to invest more time into, or like this is a place for us to to double down on when it comes to the course.
1: I think one of the biggest themes I see across these bigger names, successful creators, and I'm going to focus in on what I would call like a signature offer Mm -hmm. from these creators is that they evolve over time. Mm -hmm. It's not just about evolving the delivery method. We've talked about that. It is also about the actual curriculum itself and staying up to date on what's going on. And that goes such a long way because even for current students who maybe joined two years ago, if you have even an annual update that you send out to students about what you've added in the last year, what you're doing this year, or your hopes and goals from them, like that helps the course stay relevant in their lives, even if they have, hadn't had the time to get to it. But I also think that for new students who are enrolling, they want to know what's working now, like the online business industry, just to use ours as an example has evolved so much in the pandemic. And I feel pretty mm-hmm. confident that most industries have. So if you compare a course that was created two years ago versus all of our courses where we're going to have the latest version that has clearly been updated, the sales copy does not include the year 2019 accidentally <laughs> in one of the bullet points. And it's made obvious that you've kept up with what's going on. I think that really sets you apart because I do still see a lot of old school course creation. People are just making the course once, putting it up there, hoping for passive income, making money on the beaches in Bali. Don't get me wrong. You absolutely can earn money wherever you are. Um, But I think staying up to date, evolving, considering not how to make the course longer, but how to help students reach their outcomes more efficiently is really the key to having a course that lasts, that stands the test of time. Because if you kind of think about your student and put yourself in their shoes, maybe the first time you make the course, you do have a great series of videos. You've got your lessons. Maybe you've got a workbook or two. But what I've noticed with a lot of great course creators is that they start to think outside of the box of the kinds of resources their students might need. Do they need even like a partner video with a lawyer? Like that's something that I've done because I'm not a legal expert, but I get asked about trademarks and copyrights. So how can I bring in just that small additional piece of value? Or how can I create templates or scripts or things that are plug and play that are beyond just a simple workbook. Those are not things I think make sense for the first iteration of a course, because you want to get your idea out there and find proof of concept. But I think the more you enroll students, the more of them ask you questions, the more you pay attention to what they need and you deliver, you will naturally develop a better course, one that has better resources and one that is up to date with what's going on currently. But a
0: lot of people don't do that. So even
1: just by staying ahead, you'll have an edge.
0: I think what's actually huge about the, even the annual uh, type of update or refresh email for people, because I notice I mean, (laughs) if you've been in an online business for at least a year or two, you probably have a stockpile of courses that you (laughs) have probably taken or bought. And I don't think I've seen maybe only one out of probably upwards of 40 or 50 actually ever do that. So it really does go a long way to keep your people in the loop more than just uh, come back and join us, like really help them see why they should, what you're bringing into the space. I think this actually brings in a a bigger topic that might be helpful for people around. I think there's been a lot more talk on making more smaller bite-sized courses for the one of the new trends is, or not trends, but the more, the ways people are shifting, it seems like, and to hear what you're saying around really to build a course that evolves, it feels like that might not fully connect to some of those more like bite-sized short form, you know, like the one or two modules max type courses. So do you find that it's worthwhile for people to have a more signature program that they could, like you said, invest that time in and also be able to probably charge a little bit more to make it worth their while to invest, you know, doing the resources, stuff like that. What's your kind of take on to be able to bring that level of of update of freshness? Where does that kind of land with you when it comes to like the course itself and also even like price points too?
1: Yeah, a great question. And I do want to say, I mentioned the annual update. I actually like to do a quarterly update. Like if you're somebody like one of us in our industry where things evolve really quickly, I think a quarterly reminder and update of what's new is even more relevant, but I think yeah. kind of annually is the is the minimum. But onto this question, it's funny that you're mentioning that it's like trending now to do shorter courses, because I feel like that's been around for a long time, but people start to call them different things. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden it's like new and trendy again. But as long as I've been in the industry, there's always been questions around if it's better to create many shorter courses or a single larger course. It's one of the questions I get asked all the time. And I think that some businesses can do well with either model, but here's why I think the signature course route is a good fit for many business owners of our size who do not have a huge audience, like huge. I'm talking like in the millions, huge. So if you have a signature course, that solves a great problem for your audience, causes a meaningful transformation, something that you can charge a decent amount for, that is gonna take you some effort to create because you have such powerful knowledge, figuring out how to translate that into your course and to help somebody reach an outcome. Like that's no small feat. And over time, as more students go through it, they're gonna help give you tips or suggestions or ideas about how you can consistently tweak and improve the curriculum as we've been talking about. And I think, What most people don't realize is that when you have a course, a product for your business, if you want to sell that product, you need to think about the full funnel from start to finish. So Mm -hmm. any course that you create, imagine how you're going to sell it, right? So what is going to be the point of discovery that somebody learns that you talk about this topic? For me, how do people learn that i talk about course creation they usually find me on tiktok or youtube where i address a lot of their starter questions so that's the discovery point in my business and then the way that i have the first kind of micro commitment from those people is that i get them onto my email list usually from a freebie or a, a free webinar like some kind of smaller yes mm-hmm. and then then they start to engage with me they no surprise learn that i have a signature program and then hopefully they might choose to join. It's absolutely fine. If they don't, a lot of people might purchase later, stick around, not purchase, all are great. But if you imagine having 15 courses that are shorter, you still have to do all of that marketing work. You still have to imagine Mm -hmm. how does somebody learn about my business, learn that I talk about this topic, decide to learn more, decide to potentially make a purchase. And so the way I see it, the more courses you have, the more marketing funnels you need. And what yeah. I have found to be true for me and a lot of my students and a lot of the big name creators who are wildly successful, some of Teachable's top creators from when I was working there, is that they were able to scale because they found a course that delivered an outcome that people wanted, and then they drove more traffic to the offer that had proven conversion. So that's why I think the signature course route is often easier because once you find that thing that works, to me, that's one of the hardest parts. You yeah. wanna be able to share that with more people. You've made the great course. You've created a great marketing funnel. So it's gonna be easier for you to make more money by driving people to that thing that works rather than creating a lot of funnels. And what I will say about the smaller, less expensive course, usually courses under hundred dollars, is that I think they can fit into that funnel. I think that you can have an intro offer that can lead into a signature offer. So I'm definitely not saying no lower ticket items or maybe just for some things that you feel are really important in your business. It makes sense that you have a couple of related courses that just answer some of those hot items that people always ask you about. But just for the sheer amount of marketing effort, this is typically why I recommend the signature course path rather than what I call the course library path.
0: I think that's huge that a lot of people don't remember around... Any product they create, but especially, of course, is the entire funnel. There has to be a new one for each one, no matter how you try and get around it, unless you have, like you said, those huge audiences where you post once and you know thousands see it and like go into it. A lot of us usually don't have that advantage. So I agree around the signature program side, especially for those who, and I don't think the biggest thing I think around signature programs that I'd be curious to hear for you. I think sometimes we try and equate it has to be like the biggest problem to charge the most and or you know price it at the highest it can be when what do you find for you for signature programs that the type of problem they're solving how quote-unquote great does it really have to be in order to price it in the way that the the creator has in mind versus you know I'm solving all your problems or I'm solving like you, I don't, the biggest thing I think of like getting out of debt today, what is, what's kind of like the barrier or the, the barometer for, okay, this is going to be a heavy enough problem to solve that also could charge, you know, a significant amount for.
1: I think the best like counter example is a new year's resolution where mm. people set these big lofty goals at the beginning of the year. And the two main reasons why they, don't usually succeed. I think there's some stat that says like 92 percent of New Year's resolutions fail, yeah. is because they usually aren't specific, and the time frame is too long. Like mm-hmm. if somebody says they want to get healthier, it's too vague. There's not a specific thing that they're doing, and a year is just too long for somebody to really make a plan and stick with it. That's why most people just give up by February. So for a course, I think the sweet spot is an outcome that would take your student roughly. One to three months to complete, to do the work. Now, I always hesitate to make that recommendation because there are offers. Like if you imagine even a weekend boot camp, where people might be willing to pay more to achieve their outcome in a shorter amount of time. And the nuance of pricing is something I'm sure we do not have time to get into, but in general, <laughs> you want it to just be meaningful enough that they couldn't do it in a sitting in an hour. Odds are good that that transformation, if they could do it that quickly, is not meaningful enough for you to charge What we're aiming for here. For a signature Mm -hmm. course, I say a minimum of 100, but usually I want to aim for 500 or up because you want that perceived value of your outcome to be at that price point. And I will say it's really tough to just give a sweeping generalization around pricing or even course length because who your audience is and what is important to them matters so much. It's not something I can just give a calculator and say, if you beep boop these in together, then we'll have a course price. But I do think that if you really put yourself in your buyer's shoes and think about like, what would it be worth it to them if they could make this transformation in their life in let's say 60 days, then that can give you a good sense of what is the right outcome. And I'll also add, there's often almost like a two part system that I see working for a lot of business owners, either a course into a course or even a course into a membership, where if you teach someone how to start a thing, then they might want you to help them maintain the thing. Like Mm -hmm. if you teach someone how to create their TikTok account, maybe help them get to their first 10,000 followers, then maybe after that they want a monthly membership where you continue to help them create content on a consistent basis. Maybe you teach someone how to do Facebook ads, they get their first ads up and running, but now they have a lot of questions about scaling, increasing their budget. How do you grow an A-B test? So if you are the person who can maybe break that into two and have the offer where you help them start the thing. And then potentially the second offer, which is an upsell that doesn't require the first purchase about either maintenance mode or is more of an intermediate scaling kind of offer or growth type of offer Then I think that that would benefit a lot of people. Because the last thing I'll say is that if your outcome is too big, it might feel unattainable for your buyer. Like you want to imagine what is the first truly meaningful outcome that I could help them reach. And design your course around that. Like for me, obviously course creators want to have 10K months. They want to have six figure Mm -hmm. years. They want to have far beyond that. But if I were to have one program that said, I will help you launch a new course and earn a million dollars, it's just too big. It's too big to imagine like the pieces of how I could get there. So instead for me, my first signature offer is helping people choose their profitable course idea and then enroll their first paid students because that's the first meaningful milestone is actually earning money and selling this course for the first time. So, I think that's a good question each of listeners could ask themselves like what's that first really meaningful milestone that people in your audience are actually telling you that they want to aim for.
0: I think that's fantastic for a lot of people to hear as well, especially on this part of I've heard this this sentence for when it comes to specificity that I think is really helpful for anybody both on the course side and also the marketing side, which is specificity creates believability. So the more specific you get, the more believable it feels. And I find that to be true, especially as I work with a lot of clients to help basically help their offer idea or course idea be marketed better. More often than not, I'm trying to help them to niche it down even more of the angle we're doing of the the outcome that we're trying to promise because It's so easy to kind of leave things in a general way of saying like feeling lighter or achieving a million dollars that could be way big. But I find that the more often, especially the more quote unquote iconic or long standing courses are usually ones that have some type of unique promise or even like a unique way that they're approaching it that doesn't feel like you said there that's going to be something that is a total 180 i think i, I love that uh, sign i think it was like a study forever ago that you know our minds can only really envision us about three months out, and then it feels like a separate person. And unfortunately, those bigger programs or bigger promises type of things feel a pat like past that three month side where it feels almost unbelievable unless we have you know we're on the road or being right close to being on that side. So I love what you mentioned, especially since so many people I think are worried that they're going to be too specific or worried about it being too niche when that can actually work in your favor.
1: Definitely, every buyer out there is looking for a personalized solution. So even though it feels like we're selling to a lot of people, we're actually selling to one person a lot of times. So we want your course to be for one ideal buyer. And that's gonna be the kind of course that gets recommended, that gets results, that has those buyers telling all their friends about it. So getting really specific, like you said, I think is such a great, great tip and having real clarity on who it's for and why they're joining, I think is crucial.
0: I totally agree, and we've covered a lot (laughs) already, so I want to allow people to really soak back in, listen to any parts of this that felt really important for them to dive into, but I want to just leave our people with maybe something that you've noticed for yourself or that you've noticed with a lot of course creators this last year that they're really needing to step more into, especially around the accountability side or even the, the marketing side. What has kind of been the most consistent tip or reframe or something that you feel like is like your thing that you keep having to say to people that you wish more would hear?
1: Just as a course creator, it really is not about teaching. People buy courses because they want change. They want something different. And so if you can really pinpoint what it is that people already want, like what is the existing unmet desire that's out there? To me, that's the foundation of a truly profitable course idea. So I think if you can get in your buyer's heads, or even if you're a one-on-one service provider, you already know what people want. You already have a system and now you can package it, but identifying that first and then getting paid sooner to prove that there's a concept I think is huge. So, I mean, there's so many things that I wish I could tell everybody, <laughs> but I think just that tip of like really tapping into not the mindset of selling, being about convincing people to buy your product, It's about analyzing, identifying something they already want, and then positioning your course as the solution.
0: Love it. I think that's such an easy, not easy thing, but simple thing for people to hear that might not be easy unless they get your help. So for those who are curious about working with Melissa and just following her on all the places, where can they find you? Where can they dive more into like the first step to work with you? So
1: one of the questions I'm always asked is about all the tools, all the tech I recommend. And since I know we didn't have time to get into any of that today, I do have a free resource called the online course toolkit, all my favorite course creation platforms, compared side-by-side side, the equipment, all that good stuff. So you can download that for free at witandwire.com slash course toolkit, or you'll find me sharing tips and tutorials online, mostly on TikTok and YouTube. So anywhere you'll find me at witandwire
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on. This has been fantastic. And I know people are going to be finding so many gold nuggets from the last 30, 40 minutes.
1: I hope so. Thank you for having me.